Turn in your Bibles, if you have a Bible with you, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I really appreciate Jason reading that <clears throat> because a lot of times on Resurrection Day, people will preach out of that chapter. But uh, this is a, an interesting and unusual day today. This is a unique day in history, a day when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It is the capstone of our faith in him. Without the resurrection, as we just heard, our faith would be useless in vain. Those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ look on this day as one of two of the most important days to our understanding for forgiveness and love. And we rely on this message for safekeeping for all eternity. But today is unique also in that it falls on April 1st. April 1st is traditionally April Fool's Day. A day when people try to trick others into believing something and then try to get a reaction to a false statement and say, Gotcha, April Fool. But there's another aspect of this day that brings mockery to those who believe in Christ. We who follow him are called fools. The belief of the world is rampant. I mean, the unbelief of the world is rampant and the mockery toward Christians is increasing every day. I may not live to see this, but I think our freedoms, literally all of our Christian freedoms, will be taken away in the future. I don't think I want to live to see that. Just pray for my grandchildren. But in America, the church still acts foolish as well. Not good kind of foolish. We argue over denominational distinctives. That's why there's so many different churches on so many different corners. And while our Savior, while we're doing that, our Savior looks out and sees the multitudes of the lost dying and going to hell. Which is something he came to prevent. Still, those who are faithful to the real calling of Jesus are mocked and persecuted, even in this country, sometimes even in our churches, and we are called fools. Why is this? Well, if you got your Bible open to 1 Corinthians 1 there, <clears throat> I want to start with verse 18 and read down through 31. And you'll understand as I read this passage a little bit where I'm going. Verse 18. For the message or preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wise, wisdom of the wise, and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer in this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not come to know God. And it pleased God through the foolishness of the preaching of the message to save those who believe. 
You say, why do we preach? Because he told us to. <laughs> That's the first thing. Second thing is, God uses preaching to save people. For Jews request for a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, it's a stumbling block. And to the Greeks, it's foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many are wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, for not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. As we examine this section of scripture, it's an unusual one to preach on Resurrection Day. But it happens to be April Fool's Day. The message of the cross and the resurrection is what? It's foolishness. To whom? To those who are perishing. You know, we quote around here a lot, and we teach our children a lot, John 3.16. And a lot of our kids can quote it, and a few of our adults. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. The world at large and Pike County specifically is perishing. Without Christ that means that those without him will spend an eternity in hell. Now you may not believe in hell. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist. What does it mean? Paul's taking this message of the cross as foolishness to those who are perishing. Believe me, beloved. Not only is this message considered foolish, but those of us who really believe it are also considered fools by the world. Why does it seem so foolish? Well, we just read it. Because the people of this world think they're wise. They believe that a person's worthy of death just for being human. So it's foolishness to the world. And therefore the cross is foolishness to them too. But condemnation from God is not for being human. He created you a human. The condemnation is that you, through your sin, have suppressed or pushed down the truth. Of why you were created by God. Your sin oppresses the truth that you were created to be in the image of God. And it brings eternal condemnation on you. You become useless to God. God has no darkness in him, but darkness is where sin dwells. Instead of reflecting the glorious God who created us, we reflect Death. 
But the world and its wisdom can't see this for some reason. Why is that? Well, Paul tells us why in a couple of places. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if you have my notes or in, or if you don't, I'm going to read them. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4 says this. If our gospel is veiled or hidden, it is hidden to those who are perishing, in whose minds the God of this age, Satan, has blinded their eyes who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, would shine to them. You say, does everybody who refuses Christ deceive by the devil? From that verse, what would you conclude? Yes. Our forefather, Adam, gave over control of this world to Satan when he sinned. He turned it over to the God of this age. And now the enemy of our soul has the ability to blind men's minds to the truth of the glorious reason why they were created. And when you look at Jesus, you cannot imitate him or mimic him, but you see what God intended in his image. Because the Bible says he's the perfect image of the living God. Even religious people like the Jews don't see it. Men of a, man in his own wisdom never did come to God. If you don't believe me, ask any other person in any religion, how do you get to heaven? How do you get in a place with God? And they will all say the same thing. Your good works outweighs your bad works and maybe he'll let you in. Every single religion and some people who profess to be Christians believe that. You come to a Christian who really knows Jesus and says, what is the basis of you being going to heaven? I'm a sinner and I can't stop sinning. But Jesus died for the punishment I deserve and rose again to prove it was a full payment. You know, when a person receives Christ, the forgiveness of their sins isn't just for the sins of the past. It's for past, present, and future. It's amazing the the relief that you feel when you really, really trust Christ. I'm not talking about, you know, some people think as Baptists we we, we have a, a prayer we pray, you know, ask Jesus in your heart when you're a kid and get baptized, and then pretty much go to church every Sunday and then live any way you want to. Or basically, you got to live like this. We don't smoke and we don't chew and we don't run with them that do. We ain't got no friends. That's not the gospel. You see, the Jews, he says, seek for a sign. They're looking for a miracle. They want to see something happen. They want an experience to prove that what is being told them in the Word of God is really true. And Jesus gave them signs over and over and over, miracle after miracle after miracle, and they still didn't believe him. They crucified him. Greeks and so-called wise Gentiles want man-made wisdom. They want this philosophy to explain their universe. But their so-called wisdom, in doing so, they end up becoming fools. Jews are offended at the gospel because they don't really believe their own scriptures. Philosophers just think the idea of a need for a cross and resurrection is foolish. But we preach Christ. We preach the Holy One 
stepping in our place, becoming our sin, which is amazing, and then crucified and forsaken by God on the cross. But we also preach him risen, risen from the dead. But to the Jews, this is a stumbling block. It's like an offense or a scandal to them. And to Greeks, it just sounds like foolishness. It doesn't fit a human philosophy. And it doesn't. The gospel is absolutely diametrically opposed to anything that man can come up with. Because we like to think of ourselves as pretty good. And God would never judge us because look at the all wonderful good things I've done. The problem is if you were committed a a heinous crime and you went to court and you said, Judge, I'm going to go out and do good works from now on and never do another bad thing again. Is he going to let you go? No. Somebody's got to pay. And beloved, Jesus paid it all. He sees we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, to the Greeks foolishness in their philosophy. But to those who are the called, who's that? The called. Those called by God to salvation. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. God has deliberately chosen offensive things, the weak things of this world. The despised things, the base things, those that appear not to be as though they actually existed. Why? So no flesh will glory in his presence. No one who is saved will ever be able to say, I came up with this idea of salvation myself. And no one who is saved will stand before God and say, man, Lord, I'm really glad I chose you. Ouch. You see, God has to quicken us in order to see the light. Otherwise, the devil is holding us us captive. You can be the wisest, smartest person. You can be Stephen Hawking, who now knows for sure that there's a God. And that's not wise enough to know God. But these little kids that he calls down every week in the children's message get it. So to the world, Jesus is a fool. And also we who follow him are fools. Are you a fool for Christ? (laughs) Let's step away to the Old Testament for a minute. In 1 Samuel 22, and if you would turn there. Let's see who these fools are. 1 Samuel 22, verses 1 and 2. Now, this may not seem like I'm talking about Christ here, but just stay with me. Because the whole Bible is Jesus, from book cover to book cover. 1 Samuel 22, 1. David, therefore, departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and his father's household heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontent gathered to him. And he became captain over them. Think about that. 
this cave. You see, David, in the line of David, there's a lot of fools. <laughs> a lot of fools. There's, there's prostitutes. There's outcasts. There's dumb people. A few smart people. But they're all fools. And God makes sure that the line of David and the line of Jesus, therefore, was littered with people considered fools by the world. David's name means the beloved. That's what David means. And David was a very popular in his day, except for King Saul, who <clears throat> knew that David would God, was God's choice for king. But even while Saul sat on the throne. So he, he really was always trying to catch David and kill him out of jealousy. So David ran from place to place to escape from Saul. And one of those occasions, he came to a place called a cave of Adullam. And it must have been a good hiding place because something very interesting happened there. David's family heard he was in the cave. They gathered to him. But more than that, many people gathered to him. What kind of people were they? Fools. It says in verse 2, those who were in distress, those who were in debt, those who were discontent gathered to David and he cared for them there. Gathered to David the beloved and he became captain over them. He took his rightful place to protect them and comfort them and to provide for them. It says that those in distress came to him. The Hebrew word for distress means a narrow or confining place, a disability, a place of anguish. These are the people that sought refuge with David. Those in debt are those who are helpless in their debt. They had no way of paying their debt. As a result, they were destitute and they sought refuge with David in the cave. And those who were discontent found no satisfaction in the world. The idea in the Hebrew means that the bitterness, they had a bitterness due to bearing a heavy load. They were chafed and hurt by the ill effects of the world. And they also sought refuge with David in the cave. In the cave. And it says he became captain. Here again, the Hebrew word means governor, general, keeper, protector, master, prince. And so in fleeing to David, the beloved, they experienced relief from their awful life experiences. And David cared for them. But today, my beloved, we come to a cave also. A cave that is actually a tomb. It's a tomb where the enemies of God thought they had finished with Jesus, sealed it up so that no one could take him out of there. And they were wrong. When we come to this cave, it's empty. Because our captain has risen from the grave. Amen. And the same people gather to our captain as they did to David. We told in Ephesians 1 that we're accepted in the beloved of God. Well, if we've written in Hebrew, this would say we're accepted in David. Because his name means beloved. But we have a greater than David here. Amen? Amen. So, who gathers to him? Who gathers to Jesus? Those who are in distress. Those of us in a hard and narrow place because of our sin. Disabled and unable to walk with God. 
in holiness, in the anguish of coming judgment because of our wickedness. We gather to the crucified Savior who rose from the dead. And he offers us forgiveness and freedom from the distressing burden of sin. Those who are in debt, in debt to God. Those who are piled up a mountain of wrath against themselves because of our sin. We gather to Jesus and hear him say from the cross, It is finished, which in the Hebrew or Greek means fully Paid for all eternity. Wow. And we rejoice that our sins will not be ever held against us again. No one, the Bible says, can ever bring a charge or a debt against us again. Hallelujah. And finally, we who are discontent, we've tried maybe everything the world has to offer. We found no satisfaction. We found no purpose in life, no direction, no hope beyond this life. And we gather to our captain and come to realize we were created in the image of God and therefore have been brought back through Christ to God's purpose for us and the sure promise that he will finish what he started. I'm so glad about that verse in Philippians. But our captain... Seems weak to the world. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10 says it was fitting for him for whom are all things and through whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Wow. And then 2 Corinthians 13 4 says this. For though he was crucified in weakness, yet... He lives by the power of God. We also are weak in him and shall live with him by the power of God toward you. I'll be honest with you. I have been praying about this sermon for weeks. And before I got up here, I was sitting there shaking and nervous and weak. And God had me just stop and thank him for weakness. It's exactly opposite. It's foolish to the world, but he made me thank him for weakness because he doesn't want John Bateman to be the one you hear today. He wants Jesus Christ to be the one you hear today. Are you a fool for Christ? How do I become one? I don't know if you ever heard of the five missionary that perished in Ecuador in the 50s. One of them was named Jim Elliott. And he made a statement before he got on the plane and went to that beach where they were ultimately killed by the natives, the Alka Indians. And here's what he said. Think about this statement. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Believing wholeheartedly in Jesus Christ, taking that offensive cost and, and following him, living day by day in the hope of seeing him forever and being with him, and loving your brothers and sisters in Christ is a life choice, not a religious decision. If you're real, there will be fruit belonging to Christ in your life. But if you want to stay distressed, bitter, debt, waiting for judgment, discontent, and angry and bitter. No one's going to make you come to Jesus. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. 
Jesus Christ came to give you life abundant, along with, as well as, persecution from the world. Yay, God. But you may seem like a fool to others if you follow Jesus. Come be a fool for Christ. There's a, a man who, his name is Michael Card, and I love his songs. He's, his songs almost are preaching in song. And he wrote a song called God's Own Fool. And I'm not, I, I was singing it to my wife. She says, don't do that before church. <laughs> I said, yes, dear. But here's the song lyrics. Listen closely. Seems I've imagined all him all of my life as the wisest of all of mankind. But if God's holy wisdom is foolish to men, he must have seemed out of his mind. For even his family said he was mad. And the priest said a demon's to blame. But God in the form of this angry young man could not have seemed perfectly sane. When we in our foolishness thought we were wise, he played the fool and opened our eyes. When we in our weakness believed we were strong, he became helpless to show we were wrong. And so we follow God's own fool, for only the foolish can tell. Believe the unbelievable. Come be a fool as well. So come lose your life for a carpenter's son, a madman who died for a dream. And you'll have the faith his first followers had, and you'll feel the weight of the beam. So surrender the hunger to say, I must know. Have the courage to say, I believe. For the power of paradox opens your eyes and blinds those who say, I can see. So we follow God's own fool. For only the foolish can tell. Believe the unbelievable and come be a fool as well. You can't be saved by giving up your life for Jesus. You can only be saved because he gave up his life for you. You're weak, helpless, and unable to, to take away your own sin. But Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he said this. My brethren, because of the mercies of God, the astounding, the amazing, unlimited mercies of God, present your body a living sacrifice, <coughs> which is your only reasonable thing to do. You see, if you really if you really understand what Christ really did for you, and it doesn't stir your heart to give up your life, then the Bible questions I don't I don't know your heart. The Bible questions your salvation. The Bible questions your salvation. Now, if the Bible <coughs> questions your salvation, God questions your salvation. The best thing you can do, <clears throat> if you're not sure that you have really fully trusted in the work and worth and, and person of Christ, dead and risen again, 
filled up all the, that was needed out of God's wrath and offers free eternal life as a gift. And then you say, well, now that I got it, I'm going to go live like I want. That is not what he meant when he said, come and follow me. I challenge you today. If you follow Christ in your school, in your university, in your place of business, the schools and the universities are trying to draw us into man's wisdom constantly. It's foolishness to God. When you say, I'm going to follow Christ according to his word only, you're going to be considered a fool. But on that day when Jesus comes back, all of us fools are going to be on the backside looking out on those being judged. Rejoicing the fact that we did nothing to save ourselves and we're here strictly by his mercy. But praise God we are here. (laughs) Chuck Swindoll one time said the most amazing thing that I will find when I get to heaven is that I'm actually there. Yes. So come be a fool for Christ. Let's pray. Father, we'd rather be fools in the world's opinion. We'd rather be persecuted for a real faith. You told us, Lord Jesus, that there are four different kinds of hearts that hear your gospel. And I suspect that those four hearts are here today. One of them, you, you likened it, you compared it to a sower sowing seed. And some of it fell on the concrete path or the trodden down path and, and the birds came and ate it and took it away. Some fell on rocky soil and it grew up real fast and then withered when the sun came out. Some fell in in among thorns and it never bore fruit because the thorns choked it out. And some fell on good ground and brought forth fruit. Sixty, ninety, a hundredfold fruit for Jesus. And you said to us, the seed that fell on the stony path or the rocky path, or I mean the, the bare path, it was when the birds come, it's like Satan coming and saying, I don't believe in God. I don't believe the message of this silly preacher standing up there. And Satan snatches your word from their heart before they've ever had a chance. And there are some who say, oh, this is good news. I believe it. But when it comes time to really stand for you, we wither and fall and prove that we were never saved to begin with. And some falls among thorny soils and we say, yes, I've accepted Jesus, but I, I haven't changed my life, and that group of people also your word calls lost. But then there's that group, those of us who really understand the calling of Jesus. A calling on our lives that says, look, what are you going to give for your own soul? What if you lose your soul and gain the world? What good is that? There's people here today that probably don't really believe in you or say they do and don't follow you Lord you know every heart in this room my ask my request is that your Holy Spirit would fall in this room right now and I don't care whether you shake the building with a mighty wind 
shake the hearts that are here. In Jesus' name, amen.